Hi, thanks for joining us online. We're glad that you've chosen to access this message. It's so encouraging to know that God is using the ministry of Portico Community Church to touch the hearts and lives of people all across the world. If you have a story to share or a prayer request, we would love to hear from you at info at porticocanada.ca. To support our ministry, you can donate online by clicking on the Donate button at the top right of your screen. Once again, we're so glad that you've joined us. It's our prayer that this message from God's Word will deeply impact your life. Well, good morning, Portico. Great to have you here this morning. Welcome those of you that are joining us online. And uh, if you just sort of joined in, you believe what you were just singing about. That was amazing. Can we give a big hand to our worship team and our band and our leaders? Did a great, great ministry lead today. Well, hey, get your Bibles out. We're going to jump right in. We're going to go to the book of John. If you're new to the Bible, go to the middle, hang a right, and you're right in the zone, and you're going to find John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and we're going to go to chapter 11. We're in a series, and we've been searching for Jesus. Now, you know he's not lost. We are. And so just to make sure everybody understands, uh, Jesus isn't lost. I think he knows where he is, but sometimes we misplace him in our thought, our theology, and our words, and our deeds. And so we've been looking at this about getting to know Jesus better. So whether you're a a sincere follower of Christ, or maybe you're a skeptic, or maybe you just have questions, or you're seeking, one of the things that we've been doing is, here's what I know to be true. If you really want to get to know somebody, you go spend some time. You have lunch with them. Isn't that true? A couple of lunches, you get to know people. You get to know their habits and the little quirks they have. You get to learn their mannerisms. It's just a great way. When Joe joined our staff, we had a number of times. We got together, we had lunch, and we got to know how we'd interact with each other and connect with each other. And there's great chemistry, and it's great to have Joe on board. By the way, can I just say something while you're all listening in and those of you that are online? Uh, If you live in the area, we've made a shift. We're going to shift our teaching night to Tuesday night. And so Tuesdays at 7 is going to be our night that Joe is going to lead out. The reason for that is we want to make sure that all three campuses can actually participate in the teaching. On Wednesday, only our campus could. Tuesday, all the campuses can participate. Joe, we're excited about that. So it's going to be here. If you live in the area and you're watching me right now and you can make it down, I really encourage you to be here. And it's going to be a great night. So what I'm going to do today is I'm going to make a mess and then hand it off to Joe. And he'll clean it up on Tuesday. Is that fair? Everybody good? So you get your notes out. You get your, so in your bulletin or download our app, you can do your notes. And you go, well, yeah, but Doug said. And Joe goes, yeah, <laughs> that was Doug. This is what Joe says and the Bible says. So we're, we're going to do our best to kind of get there. All right, back into our series. If you really want to get to know somebody, you go spend time with them. So if you really want to know who Jesus is, and even if you're curious, one of the best ways to do it is get into his conversations and listen. Because we reveal something about ourselves in our language, in our stories, and what we share. And Jesus does that. So through a series of I am statements over the past couple of weeks, you know, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. Last week, Pastor Jeff was here from uh, First Century Foundations. He's the director now. And he shared on I am the good shepherd. Great buildup. Go to our media. Go to the website. You can listen to these. Today, I'm going to talk to you about when Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Great, great story. And that's found in John chapter 11. And so as we get ready to step into that, we know there's a little bit of background. So let me share it with you. Last week when we talked about the good shepherd, Jesus is in Jerusalem. And John tells us in chapter 10 that Jesus was there for the feast of celebration. That would be the season or the celebration as we know as Hanukkah. So it's right around the month of December. And John says that Jesus is there. He's in Jerusalem. 
And he makes his way over to the temple, and he begins to stroll along Solomon's colonnade. Now, those of you that know anything about the Bible and about our background, that name should mean something to you. Who knows what Solomon's colonnade is? Portico. Absolutely. It was also called Solomon's Portico. That's where we got our name from. Why was Jesus walking along the colonnade or Solomon's Portico? It's because that's the place in the temple where anybody could come. Men could come. Women could come. uh, Jews could come. Gentiles could come. Everybody was welcome into that part of the temple. And I love that about Jesus. So he's in a place where he's accessible to everybody, helping people find their way back to God. And isn't that what we want to do as a church? We want to be open and accessible to everybody so that everybody could find their way back to God. So if you want to know what Portico is all about, that's it right there in a nutshell. So Jesus is walking along the colonnade. And as he's walking along, John tells us that some of the Jews, so if you're in your notes and you want to watch or just look in your Bible, it's uh, chapter 10 and verse 24. Here's what John says. The Jews who were there gathered around him saying, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. So here's something you need to know. When John uses the term Jews, he's not talking national identity. He's not talking about every citizen of the land of Israel. He was referring to the people who tended to be antagonistic, sometimes called the Pharisees, the religious leaders, the Sadducees. He he groups them together and he calls them the Jews, because they're the ones that just sort of pepper Jesus with these questions. So they come to him and he goes, you know, how are you going to keep us in suspense? Tell us whether or not. Are you the Messiah or are you not the Messiah? And Jesus responds and he goes, I already told you. I told you by the miracles that I did. And my miracles speak to the evidence of who I am. Then he goes on and he makes a reference to what we learned about last week. And he goes, if you really believed me, you would know my voice. My sheep know my voice. You do not believe me, you are not my sheep. Oh my gosh. If you do not want to win a popularity contest, that's what you tell them. If you want to create antagonism, that's exactly... Jesus basically calls them out and he goes, you're not mine. You're not mine. I already told you, my sheep know my voice. When I speak, what I do, they hear, they follow. You obviously are not my sheep because you don't do... Well, this irritated them. So they were a little bit antagonistic already. Now they're irritated. And Jesus adds a statement. And he goes, I and the Father are one. And at this, these Jews went ballistic. They reached down. They grabbed rocks from off of the floor. And they were ready to stone him. How dare this mere mortal claim divinity That went against everything they believed in Jehovah, and so they were about to stone him. And the Bible tells us that Jesus escaped, and he got away from that area. So Jerusalem was not on his trip list, you know, safe places to go. Let's go to a little map. Uh, There's two maps I'm going to take you to. So this is just sort of a great big overview of the region that we're looking at. You see Samaria, Decapolis, down to the lower left is Judea. And you see to the right, so just above the big sort of Dead Sea area there to the right, there's a word called Perea. Everybody spot that? Okay, I know you can't, but that's all right. Thanks for saying yes. Go to the next slide, because this will help all of us. Now do you see it? Ah, up there to the right-hand side. So top of the screen on the right, region of Perea. That's where John the Baptist's ministry began. And you'll see there in the center, Jerusalem and Bethany. So Bethany is where Lazarus, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus live. It's only about three kilometers away from Jerusalem. Jerusalem is where the temple was, where Jesus just created all of this commotion. And he escapes over to the region of Perea, and he's out in Perea performing ministry. John tells us the people loved him there. They believed in him. Many began to follow him. 
So if he was planning a road trip, it wasn't going to be back into the region of Judea, at least not if he wanted safety to be his highest concern. So in this moment now, you have a little bit of a context, and I want to take you into a story. It's while Jesus is up in the region of Perea, and he travels north, and he's teaching that he gets this urgent appeal to come back to Bethany. And Mary and Martha have sent out someone to get him because Lazarus is sick. And when Jesus returns, we now know that there's going to be a whole lot of story taking place here because it's hostile territory. These crowds are antagonistic. There's those who believe, those who don't believe. And now Jesus steps into a story where his friend, and let's pick it up, verse 17, John 11. So on his arrival, this is into Bethany now, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. And when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died, but I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, she said, saying, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? And in that moment, Jesus lays it right out there, and he's got Martha with her rapt attention, listening to the words of Jesus, challenging everything that she's ever known about what future episodes and events are supposed to look like. And Jesus says, I'm the resurrection and the life. What brought them to this point? What do we need to understand? And what do we do as a result of this? So pull your notes out. And we're going to walk through this together today. I'm going to take you through three different phases. So first off, let's get into the story. And can I just share with you a little bit of the background? What's the context? If you're taking notes, it's under the section. What's the context of his statement? Well, here's what we know. Lazarus is dead. Now, keep in mind, this is devastating news in and of itself, and the ramifications are profound, but there's so much more within this one narrative. There's all these subplots that are about to take place, and Jesus is intentionally moving towards a moment, and he's got Martha there, and then he's going to bring in Mary and the disciples and the crowd, and then we're going to join them in this. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Keep your Bibles open to John 11, because I'm going to go in and out today, and I'm going to ask you to look at the verses, because we won't always put them up on the screen, and I want you to see the progression that takes place. So get going. Let's go back over to Perea. So we're going over to the other side of the Jordan, into where John the Baptist's ministry began, and here Jesus re-engages in active ministry, and people are very receptive, very welcoming, and we know that now he begins to move into different regions. And John tells us that at some point while Jesus is over there ministering, Mary and Martha are faced with a challenge because Lazarus is deathly ill. Now I want you to picture this. So back in Bethany, the two sisters are talking together. They're close, dear friends. I mean, this is a family. This was a, a home that was a safe haven for Jesus and his disciples. So these two sisters are talking, who can help us? And they knew the power of Jesus. They knew the miracles of Jesus. And so they, they send a messenger, go find Jesus. Now there's a task. Like, where in the countryside do I go? Well, we know he's not here. He had to go to the safe place. He's over in the region of Perea, somewhere there. People will know. People always seem to know where Jesus is. So they send a messenger off. And I just, I want you to join the picture for a moment. Everybody good with that? All right, here we go. So picture, if you will, Jesus is teaching masses of people all around him. And this messenger has left Bethany, racing through the countryside, village to village, stopping. Have you seen Jesus? 
Well, he was here two days ago. Where is he now? I don't know. He kind of headed that way. So this messenger, well, I don't know, horse or donkey or running, whatever he did, he finally gets to Jesus. He's probably winded from having rushed to get there. So he approaches Jesus, and you can just picture this. He's like, <gasps> you ever feel like you're having a heart attack? I'll do that if I do three more deep breaths. But anyhow, he, you know, he's, he's breathing heavy. Jesus, Jesus. And getting close to Jesus wasn't an easy thing to do. The crowds of people were always around him. In fact, the disciples kept kids away from Jesus. So imagine a stranger who runs up, who's laboring to catch his breath. I need to see Jesus. Oh, it's another demon-possessed guy. Let's keep him off on the outskirts and keep Jesus focused on what he's doing. And finally, this poor guy gets to the front. Jesus, I I just need to talk to you. And he goes, what's going on? And he goes, it's urgent. You've got to come quick. Mary and Martha have sent me to get you. You need to come back. It's your friend Lazarus. Jesus goes, what's wrong with Lazarus? He's deathly ill. Time is of the essence. You need to go now. And Jesus does something. Now, of course, I'm reading in a little bit because you're not going to find this in John. But it's like he stops and he goes, okay, thank you. And hey, by the way, on your way back, give my regards to the family. And you go, whoa, whoa, what? He does. He listens to this urgent plea for this man, from this man to go back to the region of Bethany, back to Lazarus' house. It's right there. Look in your notes. John chapter 11, 5 and 6. It says this, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was for what? Two more days. Now go back to the story. Imagine this messenger is going... You want me to give my regards to the family, your regards to the family? Yeah, yeah. Would you do that for me? Sure, I'll do that for you. If you were the messenger, would you want to go back to Bethany without Jesus? Uh-uh, not me. So anyhow, this guy has to make his way back to Bethany, and he gets back to the home of Mary and Martha. By the time he gets there, they come racing out. We already know Lazarus is dead. So they come out expecting that Jesus is with the messenger. And they're going to come out, and they're looking, and they go, so, so where is he? Did you find him? Did you get a report from him? And the messenger kind of reluctantly and hesitantly has to admit. He goes, well, I found him. Did you give him the news? Did you tell him to come? I, I gave him the news. I, I told him. Well, is he, like, is he half a day behind? Is he uh, two hours behind? W- where is he? Would you want to be the messenger that said, um, he said to give you his regards, and he's not coming? And we go, what? He didn't come? We're his closest. How many of you have close friends? How would you feel if you called your friend? they go, eh, maybe, later. That's the emotion that's taken. And they go, he didn't come. Did he say anything to you? Did he speak to you? Did he give any inkling of what he was doing? And he goes, oh, yeah, there was, he made this statement at one point. He said, oh, don't worry. This sickness will not result in death. This will be for God's glory. And if we were Martha and Mary listening to the statement, we'd go, what? Lazarus is dead. He's dead. What does he mean it's not going to result in death? And in that moment, he just shattered all of this expectation, filled him with all kinds of bewilderment and questions and doubts and confusions. And I can't help but wonder if maybe that isn't the same kind of sentiment and reaction that sometimes that we might have. How often have we faced an urgent need or a crisis in our own individual lives? I would venture to say many of us in the room, even those online right now and those listening to me, you have faced moments in your life where you're facing an urgent need, you're facing a crisis, and it's imperative that you get word to Jesus. How many of you pray? I'm not taking attendance, trust me. Yeah, we do. 
whether or not we started off by saying, my Father in heaven, sometimes we go, oh God, we pray, we throw our words up in the air because when we face a need, we face a crisis, we begin to call out to God and we maybe don't formalize it with the right kind of words, but that doesn't matter. We begin to pray, God, help me with my marriage. It's crumbling, it's falling apart. We went to Portico last Sunday. Everybody commented on how nice our kids are and how great we are as a couple together, but we fought like cats and dogs all the way into the parking lot, and we, we left church, and we shook hands at the door and smiled to see you next Sunday, got in the car, and we started right back at it again. We parked the car in the driveway, and we haven't talked all, all week. So we pray. We go, God, what am I going to do with my marriage? We pray for our kids. We pray about our health. We visit a doctor, and the doctor gives us news, and immediately we start to think of the worst-case scenario. We don't know what's going to take place, and fear and doubts and confusion set in. So we send a prayer request up and go, God, this is urgent. I need you. I need you right now. We pray for our kids. We pray for our education. We pray. Can you imagine? It's like when we pray, we're sending our emails to God's inbox, and we send them, you know the little um, exclamation mark, the red one you can actually flag, so it goes up high priority. Everybody tracking so far? Yeah, so we send our prayer requests up, high priority, action required, urgent action required. And it's like God has a filter going, low priority, delayed response. And you know what happens when we pray and God doesn't answer that day? And then God doesn't answer for the next day? And then the next day, and the next day? And the delay gets longer and longer, and all of a sudden, our heart and our spirit and our mind, we start to have these doubts and confusion. We have these concerns. Where's God? I thought God cared about me. Why hasn't God stepped into this story right now? What's the purpose of praying? If Jesus said, if you pray and bring your request to the Father, he'll answer your prayer request. Why should I pray if he's not going to answer my prayers? So all of this steps into our world, and we know exactly what it is because we have these moments where we wonder, and this is precisely how Mary and Martha must have felt, and I want you to catch this. When we face delays, they will invariably cause doubts and reservations to flood into our mind and into our spirit. They will cause us to be filled with confusion and disappointment and hurt and with grief and, for some, even anger. Anger, what? He's dead. How could he not come? Here's what they didn't know, and they would discover. Delays are never meant to break your faith. Delays are always meant to build your faith. What Jesus was doing, he wasn't trying to break them down. He understood that what he was about to do was much bigger than anything anybody could dare possibly imagine. So they were all caught in the moment in the temporal. They were looking at it in light of their situation, and Jesus was looking at it from a grander scheme. Friends, don't miss this. Some of you are in the middle of a delay right now, and you're going, God, where are you? I don't understand. This has been weeks and months and years. And God goes, I'm not trying to break you. I'm not trying to break you. I'm trying to build your faith up because my faith and my future and my eternity, I am the Lord over all of the circumstances. So Jesus had a purpose and Jesus had a plan that he was dealing with. Go back to the story. So let's go back from Bethany, go back into Perea where he's still hanging out with his disciples. Two days go by. And he turns to his disciples and he goes, road trip. And the guys are like, uh, yeah, okay, we kind of were on one. And he goes, no, we're going to go back to Bethany. And the disciples go, you, you want to go back there? Because you remember what it's like. In case you're wondering the emotion of this, look in your Bibles, John chapter 11, verse 8. Here's what the disciples said to Jesus when he said, let's go for a road trip. But, but Rabbi, they said, 
a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, and you're going to go back? Now, I've often wondered, who actually said those words? I think John was being kind. Do you think that was Peter? Jesus, I don't think we should go back. You know, we always blame Peter, but I kind of thought that. John was being very nice. He uses the inclusive voice. They said. I think it was one of them in the group. But they always had these little conversations. You really want to go back there? So Jesus starts a conversation with these guys, and he goes, yeah, we got to go back. Our friend Lazarus is asleep. I go, well, well then that's good. He's asleep. Because, you know, it's like our moms taught us. If you sleep, you get better, right? Plenty of rest, plenty of fluids, you'll get better. There's no reason to go back. And so they're having this conversation with themselves. Jesus, of course, had meant he was dead. But they're still sort of heart of heart and slow to understand. And he goes, no, 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 no. And he finally, I, I think he just got really perturbed. He goes, he's dead. And the shock. See, we read this too quick. The shock. They were there two days ago, and they heard the words This will not result in death, but this will be for the glory of God. Suddenly, Jesus said, he's dead. What does that do to you if you're a fully devoted follower, you're a disciple of Jesus? This immediately thrusts you into an emotional, a moral, a relational, a spiritual dilemma. Jesus lied to us. Did Jesus lie to us? Nobody say that out loud. Did he? Didn't I hear him say he wasn't going to die? And yet, didn't he just tell us he's... And now you've got this whole quandary because these disciples don't know what Jesus is up to. And Jesus is trying to understand and trying to walk with them and trying to lead them towards a greater understanding of who he is. You see, we do everything in the immediate moment and we begin to weigh every word in the immediate instead of staying on the journey with Jesus. And Jesus goes, no, he's dead. We need to go there. Now, Thomas is kind of fun because he's the one disciple that didn't get caught up in the little conversation. So in fact, if you look in your notes, you'll find us over in John chapter eleven sixteen, where we read this. Here's what John says. Then Thomas, and he said, also known as Didymus, he wanted to make sure we didn't get the wrong guy in here. He said, then Thomas said to the rest of the disciples, let's go so that we may die with him. Isn't that great? So the other disciples are going, whoa, I don't want to go back. We're going to be collateral damage. If Jesus goes to Judea, they want to stone him. Rocks start flying. We're in the way. Boom, I'm out. I don't want to go there. And Thomas is going, who cares about Lazarus? He's dead. Say la vie. Life carries on. Let's go die with Jesus. So he gets all ramped up, and he's ready to go, and he goes all militia on them and thinks, yeah, this is the thing to do. Oops. I think Thomas was the guy, if I remember, in the garden when the guards came to arrest Jesus. Thomas goes, I'm out of here. I think Thomas is the one who goes, if I go to the crucifixion, it's going to be with binoculars. I'm not going to hang around near the cross. It's amazing how good we are as armchair critics, isn't it? It really is. There's going to be a lot of great quarterbacks and coaches watching the Super Bowl tonight. You're all in the room. And you're going to know how to play the game and call the commands much better than anybody else. We're good at this. We've got all kinds of bravado and strength when we're on the sidelines. But throw us into the middle of it and test our faith and it all changes. And Jesus goes, hey, everybody, we're going back to Judea. And they were all in for a little bit of a surprise. Jesus makes his way back to Perea. Word gets out. Martha runs out to meet him. But there's something I want to point out to you. Go over to John chapter 11, verse 20. It's not the Martha part, it's the Mary. Verse 20 says, When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed where? At home. Ooh. This is the Mary who sat at the feet of Jesus, enwrapped in his teaching. Didn't want to get distracted from anything. She, she just didn't want to be anywhere else. She wanted to be where Jesus was. 
This is the Mary who would pour the oil on his feet and wipe his feet with her hair. And yet here in this moment, you go, what's going on? Well, maybe, maybe she's overcome with emotion and the grief, the loss of her brother Lazarus, that it's, it's just, it's, it's quite possible. And she had professional mourners in the house and she didn't want to disrespect them. So maybe she stayed at the house. Or could it be, could it be that in her humanity, Mary was disappointed in Jesus? Have you ever been angry at Jesus? You don't have to raise your hand. I'm not going to call that one out. Have you ever had moments where you've had doubts and hurt and pain and confusion and you just didn't know how to respond and, and you got angry at Jesus? See, here's Mary. She gets word that Jesus is coming. He goes, well, what good is that going to do? He's already been dead for four days. He's gone. And when I needed my friend and I needed him the most and we sent word, all we got was give my regards to the family. I don't know that she was really trying to offend Jesus, but what I do read in this, because I try to read it through the human emotion, I think you have Mary in the raw candor of her life just going, I am so hurt. I am so confused. I I don't know if I can go just talk to Jesus right now. And so I think I'm just going to stay home. And I I know it's making a statement, but I'm going to stay here. And we think, oh, we would, we would never do that to Jesus. You wouldn't, would you? You know I'm setting you up. Yeah, okay. We, we would never do that to Jesus, and yet we do. Well, that, that Pastor Doug, I don't like what he said last Sunday. So I'm not going to Portico this Sunday. I'll show God. And God goes, ooh, that's going to hurt. And we pull away. We pull back. It's maybe why the Bible says, do not forsake the assembling together or coming together yourselves. Don't, don't do this. You go, well, no, no, I, I, I would never not go to church. I'd rather be in church and be angry and let everybody know I was angry than stay home because how would they know I'm angry if I'm not there? And so we show up, but we take our Bibles and we set them on our coffee tables or our nightstands or on our kitchen tables, and we don't open them up. I, I'm, I'm a little disappointed in God. He didn't heal our child. I'm a little disappointed in God. My, my family, we prayed that my family member wouldn't die, and he died. I'm a little disappointed in God. See, I think in Mary's case right here, I, I begin to understand a little bit of what's going on. There's just the pain and confusion and the emotion, but I also think there's a lot of this deep disappointment. Where were you, Jesus, when I needed you? And friends, that's what happens when we get in the midst of these delays and we don't understand and doubts begin to take over. We begin to sink in this quagmire, this quicksand of confusion, which begins to swallow our faith and eventually begins to choke out our faith to the place that we become immobilized and we don't respond. And when she does respond, look at verse 32. It says, when finally she responds, and this is because Martha said, hey, Mary, Jesus wants to see you. So verse 32, it says, When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and she saw him, she fell at his feet and she said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. That's it. That's it. She doesn't have anything else. She just lays it right out. She goes, the grief and the pain and the loss is so immeasurable. It goes, if you had been... And there's that sense, why did you wait? Why did you delay? Now contrast real quickly with Martha. Because Martha came out to see Jesus when he came back. And if you look at verses 21 and 22 in John chapter 11, here's what we read. When Jesus came, Lord Martha said to him, 
If you had been here, my brother would not have died. Same words that Mary would echo just a little while later. But then she points something else out. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Wow, do you see that? That sense of hope, that sense of faith, that sense of expectation. That Jesus, I, I, I know, I'm disappointed you didn't, back, didn't get back here in time. But I know that God will give you whatever you ask. So I, I'm not even sure what to ask you for right now. But I'm pretty sure God will give it to you. So I find it amusing that... I think she was hoping that he would raise him from the dead, but if you jumped ahead to verse 39, when Jesus said, take the stone away, this is the same Martha goes, whoa, that's not a good idea. He stinks. Like, it's four days. I don't think we should do the stone. Jesus, God will give you anything you ask, but I don't know if I'd go that far. And I love this about them. They're so human. I can live in their world and, and experience life with them. And Jesus gets into a little bit of a conversation, and this is where we shift over to what did Jesus mean? Why did he call himself the resurrection and the life? He gets into this conversation with Martha, and he says to Martha, he said, do you believe that he's going to rise again? And Martha said, Jesus, yes, I do. I believe at, at the end of time that he'll be raised up at the last time. So she had her theology right. She had her belief system right. But it's in that moment that Jesus drops this right here, and he goes, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me now will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? What a great question. He throws it right out there. Jesus knew that he had to draw out of Martha. Here's what Martha understood. She knew what God could do. She knew the future possibilities, that there was a day that God could reconcile, that God could raise the dead, and everything would be good. But Jesus didn't want her to rest merely in the knowledge of what God could do. He wanted to, to invite her into the relationship of who Jesus was and what could be done right now. Martha, I am the resurrection and the life, the one standing in front of you. I have the authority and the power over life and death and the grave. Whoever believes in me will live even though they die, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. And he sets the whole stage. And remember, it's not just Martha. The disciples are listening to him. Mary is listening to him. The mourners are listening to him. We know that a crowd of people from Jerusalem has also moved out to the mourning with the family. They're all listening in and they're going, where is this whole thing headed? John eleven thirty seven. If you look at it in your Bibles, some of those that were gathered there said this. Could not the one who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept him from dying? You see, they knew. They knew that Jesus was a powerful man, even a prophet, some, some time a prophet from God. And there had been a sequence of miracles that, in their understanding from the rabbis, only the true Messiah, only the true Messiah would be able to do them. There was a series of four. Come out Tuesday night. Joe will talk you through this, and he'll actually walk you into the deeper part of this story. But they knew that Jesus had already performed three of the four miracles, so there's a, a little bit of this inquisitive hinting. They go, couldn't a man who opened the eyes of the man that was born blind, what they're going is, couldn't the one who performed a messianic miracle, couldn't he have at least kept this man from dying? And Jesus is setting the stage when he said, I am the resurrection and the life. It wouldn't have been enough to raise a sick man from his deathbed because they knew that the fourth miracle required something unique. Jesus knew that the rabbis had been teaching that when the body was dead for three days, the spirit still continued to hover around. I was looking in the Mishnah, some of the recorded texts, the ancient Hebrew texts, 
And they talk about that the spirit would hover waiting for resuscitation. And on the fourth day, when the color leaves the face, in other words, decay begins to set in, the spirit leaves at the end of the third day. There's no hope of resuscitation. And the body is beyond recovery. That's why Jesus waits until there's four days the decay sets in because he needed them to know nobody, no rabbi, no miracle worker, no scribe, nobody but the Son of God has power over death, death that has already set into decay. So you've got this whole thing set up and then he says, show me where you've laid them. And they take him over there and they show them the tomb. And as he stands before the tomb, Jesus prays to his father. He didn't pray. John says he didn't pray out loud so that, we, uh, so that he and the father had a conversation. He prayed out loud for the benefit of everybody else listening around so that they could hear. And then he tells them, I want you to take the stone away. And, of course, Martha, we already know that she's, you know, I don't know that this is a great idea today, Jesus. Don't you love it that sometimes our faith isn't quite where it needs to be and there are biblical characters that are right there with us? And Jesus goes, no, 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 take the stone away. So they take the stone away. And after he prays to his father, notice what he doesn't pray. He doesn't say, in the name of the father, come out. He doesn't say, by the power of the spirit, come out. Because he is the son of God. He makes one declaration. He calls his friend, Lazarus, come out. And on the basis of his authority, power over life and death, the dead man comes to life fully restored to life, and he comes out of the tomb. And people are shocked. They're bewildered. I mean, you can only begin to imagine what's taking place all around the grave. Look, we lose this. I think we totally lose the picture that's taking place here because we got the sanitized version in. Lazarus came out, and he goes, hey, everybody, how are we doing? John tells us he's still all wrapped up in his grave clothes. Think about it. How would he come out of the tomb in his grave clothes? It'd be like... Yeah, and, I don't, and Joe's actually got a video on Tuesday. You're going to see the full extent of the, of the tomb. But he makes his way out. Everybody is so shocked that Jesus actually has to tell them, look, take the clothes off of the guy. Like, unwrap him, let him go. And the shock and the bewilderment, and all of a sudden there's this incredible rejoicing because they realize now something. Only the Son of God could do this, and this is setting up the big triumphant week that's about to take place in Jerusalem. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the... Lord, they begin to realize the Messiah, the chosen one, he's here, he's in our midst. This has got to be the one that we've been waiting for. But not everybody, not everybody was so happy. In fact, if you go back into your Bibles, I want you just to look at this. Somewhere over in Jerusalem, in a little bit of a covert conversation, a group of people have gathered together. And in John chapter 12, 9 and 10, we read these words, and it's on the screen. It says, meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there, and they came not only because of him, but to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. And now watch. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well. Barely three kilometers away, there's a group of religious leaders gathered together, and they go, that's it. That's it. It's better that one man should die than for us to lose our nation. The anarchy and the chaos, the Romans are going to sweep in. We're going to lose control over our temple, over our rituals, over our religious system. It's better that this man is killed. And hey, by the way, bonus, let's take the one proof evidence that he in fact raised somebody from the dead. Let's kill Lazarus. You ever feel bad for Lazarus? How bad could it be? You've already died once. You've been raised to life. 
you didn't do anything, and they go, and let's kill you too. So what do we do with all of this? Well, we're going to go deeper on Tuesday, but here, can I give you a couple of things? What's, our, what's the appropriate response today? Well, I think there's a number of things. Number one, can I challenge all of us that are followers of Christ to begin to live courageously? Live courageously. Jesus is the one who's victor over life and death. He said, all of us, whoever believes in me will live even though he dies, and whoever lives by believing in him will never die because eternal life is ours. Here's the one thing I never want us to have. I never want us to get to the end of our life and have regrets because we chose not to live courageously. But to have the dream and to dare to believe that God has called us to be who we are, use the gifts that he's given to you, and pursue them. The life that we're living right now, it's so temporal, and we get so caught up in our temporal, but we're part of a much bigger future, and that's what Jesus was calling to. It's not about Lazarus being dead now. I got power over that. That's no big deal. It's about the future, and I'm raising him up to a preferred future. Here's the second thing. Not only live courageously, learn to trust God. Trust God in the middle of your delay. Some of you are in the middle of some huge delays. It might be your finances. It might be your health. It might be your marriage. Whatever that prayer request is that you send up or whatever that need is, that crisis that's so pending and so urgent, and you've been praying and praying and praying, I know we have our own that we pray for. Don't lose your trust and your faith in God in the delay. God isn't trying to break you down. He's not trying to break your faith. He's trying to build you up. He's trying to set you up to get your eyes fixed on your future. Can I remind all of us as followers of Christ, death is no longer your your, uh, enemy. Death has no longer got any victory over you. Jesus has already defeated death. So we don't have to live with our eyes on the focus right now. We live with our eyes later. What did Paul say? For me to live as Christ and to die is gain. He goes, it doesn't matter. Am I asking you to go home and drive off a cliff because it doesn't matter? No, not at all. Don't go to eternity early. You know, don't take me out when I'm riding my motorbike. Hang around a little while. Enjoy it. But listen, when someone who you love and someone who's part of the family of God, when they die and they pass away, grieve them, but don't hold them back into this world because our future is much better than the world that we live in right now. So that's what we're called to. He is the resurrection and the life. And the last thing I'd leave you with is this. If you're seeking or you're asking questions or you're wondering, all Jesus wanted to know is this, Martha, do you believe me? Do you believe me? See, friends, if we believe, it redirects our course of action. If we believe, it will change how we live. And he asked Martha, do you believe me? And that question is for all of us today. And for some, today's the day that we need to say yes to Jesus. You are the resurrection of life. Would you pray with me? Father, this morning, thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you for the incredible opportunity to get to know Jesus in a little more intimate, closer way. But we don't want to just know about him. He invites us into relationship. So I pray today for all of us that we would choose to live courageously. We take care of our lives. We plan for our future. We plan for our retirements. That's all good. It's important. But may we never lose sight of the fact that we are no longer our own. It is now not I who live. It is Christ who lives in me. And so I live to that future and that call. 
And I pray that we'd learn how to trust in the moments of delay and uncertainty. And when we feel like you've parked our prayer requests, that we know that you're building our faith and the answer is there. And there's a much bigger picture in play. And you are going to answer in that moment. And I also pray, Lord, for those who have yet to choose to believe. That this is the time, this is the day. You are the resurrection and the life. And their life and their future, Lord, can change immediately just by believing in you. As your eyes are closed, last moment of prayer, if you're in the room, I'd, I'd just be so honored to pray for you. And if you're here and you just say, Doug, would you just pray for me? That's what I want to do. I just want to believe in Jesus today. Trust him as my resurrection and life. Would you quickly raise a hand just so I can pray for you before we go? Anyone at all? Yes, thank you. Anyone else? Real quickly. Thank you. Yes. Anyone else? Yes, thank you. Yeah, I see that. Good. Thank you. Yes, yes, that's great. Thank you. If you're online, just let your online host know, and they'll pray with you as well. Father, thank you for the hands that have gone up today. For those that are just saying, today's the day. I get it. My future is now secure. And nothing, nothing can harm me. Because God has purpose that good will come from everything that I face. For those who love him, called according to his purpose, may that be true. And as they say yes to Jesus and they begin to follow you, Lord, may their life just reflect the glory of Christ because that's why we live our lives. I pray it in Christ's name. Everybody said? Amen. Amen.